Hey, did they die? No. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a little bit <laughs> a lot of it we we did die a little in our own way in our own time but we're back we're yeah. resurrected for the yeah, podcast yeah and only for the podcast only for the podcast i rose out of my grave today to do this podcast yeah are you a ghost or are you corporeal at this moment i feel like i'm a poltergeist at this point i'm a pure okay. agent of chaos right you're a ghost made strong through yes. hate. Yes. <laughs> Very Good. true. Good. I love that for you. Thank you. That's all I've ever wanted for you, my friend Emily. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're here. We're here. A key. Yeah. Taylor um, did a whole show. He did. Yes, I did a show, but it was good. It went very well. Emily, you've had many life transitions, mostly one that is taking place next Wednesday. Yep. Counting down. Do you have a countdown is, on your computer? I don't, and you I should. should. You should. Uh, I, this is the second time on this podcast, I will be starting a new job. Oh yeah. You guys wow. have been with me through the entire life of my current job. Oh my gosh. Very weird. That is weird. Gosh. That's and crazy. it ends next Wednesday and the new adventure begins. Indeed. New adventures. Where I will be having to take some certifications and fun things. It'll oh, be great. Love that. Yeah. Learning new stuff. Yeah. Getting paid more for hopefully having yes. certifications. Good. Yep. We love that for you. Yeah. Um, we are cheersing from afar because we're in our own little islands, our own yeah. little pods. We're still in the same room and everything. Yeah, but, but I keep up with the tradition that every time Taylor comes over, something changes. Something. And, and the uh, last two times I've been here, a lot has changed. Changes. <laughs> like half of the room is different. I've rearranged the living room and then I moved my desk back out here because uh, uh, pro tip for those at home playing along. That work in stressful jobs or HR, don't keep your desk in your bedroom. Yeah, your bedroom is for rest. Yeah. I understand doing it for a while, but it's also just nice to every once in a while change where your yeah. like desk is, yeah. regardless. Yeah. If you're working from home, change your scenery every couple Absolutely. of months. Absolutely. Good idea. I'm gonna. Uh, we are drinking martinis. We are right now. We are drinking mar- uh, martinis. I'm gonna chug this and then. Fabulous. That I... was my promise to myself. I can't and I won't stop you. Sober until you got here because oh, it's been that's good a week. That's good. I actually would have normally had a, a beer coming home too, but I didn't. Yeah. So yeah. we both stayed I sober. Just, I drank Dink a sprite. It. Good for us. Mm. Yeah, but now we're drinking the thing that fucks us up the fastest, demonstrably. So here we go. We're back in our McBullshit. And um, Kat very kindly because I've had a very shitty week. Mm-hmm. I came home yesterday. And she was like, how was your day? And I kind of just stopped functioning. <laughs> it's just how you know that the answer isn't good. And so she very kindly got whiskey. It was very kind. And it's I... a, like caramel old Smokies whiskey. So it's like the same people that do the moonshine. Oh, the little ki- tiny moonshine jars yeah. that we usually drink. Okay. It smells pretty good. Yeah. You know what? This, this might pair well with this weird thing I got. One sec. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Oh, it's called Ego Nog. Um, it's made by um, some people who make a lot of things called they call Appalachian Sippin' Cream. And they're just cream based drinks that are uh, 20 percent alcohol. <laughs> and I think they're meant to just be for sipping. Um, but I think we could also put them in a in another alcohol. This one, I think, tastes like Ego Waffles. <laughs> so, I mean, it does it. They got the fucking Kellogg's 
brand name on it. So this is, it's an eggnog liqueur, but I think it also tastes like Eggo waffles. <laughs> I'm scared. I was rightfully scared. Yes, absolutely. I did, I did text Emily being like, I don't even know what I bought, dude. I don't even know what this is. So... I mean, it smells alcoholic. It smells like a liqueur. Like, you know how a cream-based liqueur always smells mostly like the booze that it is, <laughs> mm-hmm. is in it. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like like if you put Bailey's on a waffle. <laughs> I would do that. I would absolutely fucking do that. <laughs> Sounds delicious, actually. I'd make I would a, do like a Bailey's whipped cream. That's what I was just going to say. Whip that shit yeah. into a whipped cream. Mm. Look, uh, it's good. I like it. Um, I don't think it tastes like an ego, but I can see the eggnogginess part of it. But mostly it tastes like booze. <laughs> it tastes like a white chocolate Bailey's. All right. God, we're here. We're back. Ooh. We're back on the saddle. Um, what does Will Graham say? I'm in the saddle. I'm just confused as to which way I'm facing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's us. <laughs> we are due for a Hannibal rewatch. Um, yes, we are. In fact, we're always due. And we have not been making good on that for far too long. We have not. Well... Which the fuck of us what goes first? What episode number is this even? I believe it's 111. I had to look back. Um, One moment, please. I think we left off at 110. Go to our handy dandy notebook. Discord. Our handy dandy Discord server. <laughs> Reminder that Satan doesn't bottom. Oh, yeah. Satan does not bottom. Taylor goes first. Odds. All right, that's this me. This is going to probably be a repeat of the last time we did martinis. <laughs> Episode four, you mean? Yeah. Have we not done martinis we in did. between that we at all? We did once. We had to, yeah. Yeah, we did it once, and then we were like, that was a bad idea. Was that again. one called Oops All Gin? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That was like episode like 50. No, it was like 25. It was pretty early, I yeah. feel like. And then we haven't since then. Oh, my God. Speaking of being back on our bullshit... I mean, man, Em, this one's really quintessential for me. It's so been, is mine. It's Oh, good. It's been sitting in my phone as one of my options mm-hmm. for months and mm-hmm. months and months. Mm-hmm. Um, same for you? Yep. And I got a whole I just, Google Doc. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we were starting back up after a yeah. hiatus. And I was like, yeah. I'm just going to look into this again. And yeah. as I looked into it, I was like, fuck Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think this is going to be about based on mm. the fact that it's for me i just like what, what do you i mean think it's a 50 50 what's of, a 50 50 for me <laughs> like some sort of accident on the side of a mountain <laughs> where they're stuck i'll tell you mountain is right you are already you got it in, in one <laughs> or a cave yeah i you love you do love a good cave i'm a real fan of things that go wrong in the wilderness yes because because we're nowhere people and I'm yes. never going to go out there. You're so right. <laughs> it's almost like I know you. It's almost as if we've been doing this for 111 episodes and I've probably done like 50% of that is mountain shit yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. We're going to the mountain today. Oh. Like Everest? The big boy. Oh. Exactly. Oh. We're going to Everest. I had like a one in five. And if and I was going to have to start guessing the other big mountains, we were going to get into trouble. Um, yeah. I Mine know. also has a mountain. Really? Well, there's our connection. We already found it. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> so, if you're a climber, 
You're, you've probably heard of the seven summits. Yes. That is, yeah, I'm not a climber. I am I, not a climber, but I have watched a lot of documentaries. Completely fair. Yeah. Where people have tried to yeah. hit all seven summits. Those are, like, they're the highest peaks in every, quote unquote, traditional continent. Yeah. And that includes Antarctica. But there is some, still some, like, there are different versions of the seven, seven summits, depending on what you count as, like, the border between Europe and Asia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's what, fluid. Yeah. Yeah. People, people do literally argue. And if you take like the tectonic plate specifically, then like the mountains are slightly different than two. Either way though, regardless of which thing you're looking at, like the Everest is always on the list yeah. and it's number one. It's yeah. the highest peak in the world. It is, uh, 8,848 meters. No. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that sits at for for us Americans. It's um, twenty nine thousand thirty one feet above sea level. Um, that's real high. It's in fact higher than most people should ever go ever. Yeah. <laughs> there's no <laughs> air up there. Really shouldn't. There's no goddamn air there's up no there. Air. <laughs> Don't. Jordan Sparks is out here warning you. Is bad. How is... am I to breathe with no air? <laughs> sure. If you're a mountain climber, Everest is like the thing you work toward. Yeah. I'm sure that there are some people who understand their own limits and who think I'm never no. doing Everest. No. But some of the crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> there are absolutely people, usually with money, mm -hmm. who are like, I could do that. Absolutely. Um, this is why, like, I think people usually, when you hear people talk about climbing Everest, they talk about it as attempting mm -hmm. like they're never like, I'm going to summit Everest. They're like, I'm going to attempt to summit Mount Everest because you can get all the way there yeah. and as close you can to get the to that final base camp mm -hmm. and you will not make it nope for many reasons maybe your own health will be an issue maybe just the weather the time of year it doesn't matter like Everest doesn't care about you <laughs> and it don't give a fuck it does not it doesn't care about your aspirations like and for fuck's sake like when they go through the death zone mm. it's not markers of like traditional markers it, the markers are dead people yeah um at the time that this story takes place there were 150 people who had died on everest and they are left that's tradition yep. it's just not safe to go get them it's sort of like if you died in a deep sea underwater cave yep like they're not gonna go get you i'm sorry and like, there are stories of people who have tried to go get both people in everest and in underwater caves mm -hmm. and who they then die. die because yeah it wasn't safe and the bodies are usually in very precarious positions or if you're in an underwater cave, they're very deep. Exactly. Like, either way, like, it's just not safe it's and not it's happening. not worth it. It's just not happening. So if you die on Everest high enough... Um, if you die on Everest, you die in real life. You die in real life. <laughs> and no one takes you off the mountain. No one takes you off the mountain and yeah. you become a mile marker. They don't have cairns, they have yeah. corpses. Yes. Um, it's, it's tough, but people still do it all the time, every year. It's so every stupid. year. It's so stupid. So I get very mad. It's Everest makes me mad. It's super interesting, but it's also like, God damn it, guys. Really? Especially when the videos come out of the lines to the summit. Oh, my God. Awful. Because I, I will mention one of the issues of what happens <laughs> in this story I'm about to tell you is that there's a bottleneck at the top. And like, there's too many people trying yeah. to summit Everest at once. You really can't be doing it like nope. that. You, you have to go at your own pace. Or you might die. You very well might die. So, let's talk about a guy who didn't die. Oh. But 
Got close. Came close. Okay. So it's 1986 Ooh. and well, Seaborn Beck Weathers. He goes by Beck. Huh. Um, he's already 40 years old. Sounds like money name. It's a money name. For, yeah, he is. I mean, he's a pathologist. To like, oh. he's a he's a doctor. Well, but I, I mean, I'm glad he's a doctor. That probably helped. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like he had the right mindset. Good. Anyway, um, he's married. He has two children, and he's been sort of hounded. He literally calls it a black dog. That's like this this severe bout of depression that hits him every once in a while and he's been be- dealing with like a worse version of it since his mid 30s. So for the last few years, he's been having like a pretty hard time. Um and okay. he, and he finds mountaineering as an escape. He takes a course, he finds he loves it. He, he explains it as like everything in your life just sort of falls away as you take another step and you grab another handhold. And like, that's all that matters is what you do in the next moment. And so you're not thinking about how you maybe kind of want to kill yourself a little bit. There are safer ways to do that. But some people are lacking in endorphins and serotonin. Same. And and yeah, same. Exactly. (laughs) But for some people, apparently uh, mountaineering (laughs) gives them that. It's crazy, I know, but he loves it. He started to love mountaineering to the detriment of the rest of his life and his family. Sure. He says, uh, quote, this is a quote from our good friend Beck. High altitude mountaineering and the recognition it brought me became my hollow obsession when my wife, Peach, yes, her name is Peach, Aww. warned that this cold passion of mine was destroying the center of my life and that I was systematically betraying the love and loyalty of my family I listened, but I did not hear her. Peach so this woman's going on. Yeah, Peach is like, no, this isn't good. But I'm ten. We're talking ten years. He yeah. started in 1986. It's 1996. He's 49, going on 50 years old. Is he part of? Because there were a couple big disasters on Everest. Yes. yes, one of those happened in the 90s. Yeah, I guess we'll see, huh? Oh, God. So it's 1996. He's 49. He has already climbed eight large mountains, Mm. including some of the seven summits list. I don't know how many. It didn't really say anywhere how many he actually got through before trying Everest. But Everest wasn't his final thing, which I sort of feel like that should be your last one. But it wasn't. There are worse ones. In some ways, yes. There's more dangerous climbs. Yeah. But Everest as as, is just the most popular. As far as weather and elevation goes, you're not going to have it harder. Yeah. In fact, like, I think there's, the way the Wikipedia mentioned it, like, it listed the people on this same expedition with Beck when he decides to go finally in May of 1996. And it all listed whether or not they had any 8,000 meter experience or not. Oh, no. And so, like, basically it means, like, yeah, have you ever been this to high. the height of yeah. 8,000 meters above sea level? Um, Beck had not by that point. Several people on the expedition had not. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you won't be able to acclimatize and figure it out, but having that experience is good for someone attempting Everest because you are you're going almost a thousand more meters above that. Any who's it's um Taylor, I don't like that. <laughs> this was supposed to be like Fun. <laughs> I yeah, I don't remember hearing about that part where oh. it's supposed to be fun. So, uh, there are two different expedition teams that are set to attempt the summit of Everest 
from two different approaches. You sort of end up in the same spot once you get close to the summit, but you can come at it from two different ways. There's the north face and the south face. And so Mountain Madness is an expedition team, and they are approaching from the north. There's one side in, that starts in Tibet and has its own base camp, and then there's one side that starts in Nepal and has its own base camp. Now, the people we're following more are the adventure consultants. So we've got the Mountain Madness and the adventure consultants. We've got the jocks and the nerds uh-huh. is, uh-huh. in my mind, what's happening. Uh-huh. Shirts and no shirts. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Shirts and skins. Um, so our good friend Beck, he's on the Adventure Consultants. They're taking the southern route. So they start at Southern Base Camp, which is actually on a glacier. Um, and then they have, there are four camps between Base Camp and the summit. Okay. Both expeditions consist of three types of people. Guides, Sherpas, and clients. Our survivor, Beck Weathers, he's a client. He paid to be there to be sort of led up the mountain. He knows what he's doing, but he still needs a guide, somebody who's been there before. And the Sherpas... Don't get paid enough. Don't get paid enough. Don't get enough They've done this climb. Absolutely. So many fucking times. If for anybody who isn't aware, <clears throat> the difference between a guide and a Sherpa is a Sherpa is usually from the area. They know this mountain in particular, and they've been up there a lot. <laughs> Hundreds of times. Yeah. Guides might be... Um, big mountaineering people they might own a company that's all about sending people up to the highest summits in the world but Everest is still a beast and the Sherpas know Everest best yep in fact this is a fun fact so one of the Sherpas that was set to go on this climb and ended up not going his name was Ang Dorje and he holds the record for the most successful summits of Everest do you want to guess how many times he's actually gotten to the top of Everest 300 <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot think smaller uh I 15 um you're very close it's 21 damn that's the most any person has ever i mean think how many people die first attempt second yeah. attempt third attempt or they just attempt and they never make it see this is why sherpas deserve all of the respect so it can take a week just to get to base camp you're it's... at the base of the mountain and it took you a week to get there yeah it's insane yeah um, it's the lowest of the four camps. Base camp starts at 17,700 feet above sea level. That's high for a lot of people already. That is the highest, by the way, possible altitude at which you can permanently live. If you go higher, you can't. Your body starts to die at a faster rate. Um, so that's where base camp is. You stay there for a little bit. You get ready. You start heading up. You still have 11,000 feet before you reach the top. 11,000 more feet. So between base camp and the summit, like I said, four camps of varying altitudes. For Beck and the rest of the team, the climb goes according to plan for most of the journey. They're having like a pretty fine time of it. He and the others are well aware that things are only going to get harder and more dangerous the farther they go. Like that's... That's what Everest is. That's what mountain climbing is. The higher you go, the harder it is. The more you have to watch your own body's responses to things. Um, You have to know yourself. Oh, yeah. Know what you're capable of. Know, like, how well-trained your body is. And then also, like, they have canned oxygen. They're not taking risks. Like, most people go up with canned oxygen now. As they should. Because you can get hypoxia pretty easy. Ugh. Um, No, thank you. Yes. So by May 9th, Beck and the team make it to Camp 4, which is also called High Camp. I usually just call it that from now on. And that's the highest camp 
that there is before the summit. High Camp lives at about 26,000 feet. The summit is 29,028 feet. So they've got about 3,000 feet to go. What They're, is plane cruising altitude? Um, like good 20,000 feet? I always heard, yeah, 30,000 feet, oh, I feel 30, like. 30,000, yeah. Yeah. Just to try and put it into some context mm-hmm. for anyone who's like me with like, I think of it like the tsunami waves and like right. the big rogue waves where it's like, I can't Once you get into fathom. Right. That's why I keep putting it in feet too, because meters is like, no, I don't fucking know what's going on with meters. Y'all America. we're, yeah, we use standard measurements. Sorry. Now. So they're at, they're at camp four, high camp. And this is, this is located, you mentioned the death zone yeah. earlier. This is located in the death yeah. zone. Yeah. Um, which basically just means that, uh, like, if you are going to die on Everest, this is where you'll die, between Camp 4 and the summit. Yeah. It's the most dangerous elevation-wise and weather-wise. It's unpredictable, and it's hard on your body. Yeah. Um, there are, like, I think if I remember correctly, there are, like, if you Google it, there are, fo- well, like, be careful with Googling it if you don't want to see dead bodies. Yeah. But, like, there are photos of people, like, before and after Everest. That shows the wear and tear. Yeah. That, that just trip. Even if it was an okay trip. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It just, just, it shows the wear and tear on the body. Mm-hmm. Because you, like, as you said earlier, like it's, it speeds up basically your body breaking down. Yeah. You you start to decompose at a faster rate than you normally would because yeah. you don't have as much oxygen getting to your cells. Again, this camp's located in the death zone. One of the reasons why it's actually called the death zone, not just, like, scariness and, and bad for your bodiness, it's, like, there is a thing called acclimatizing that you can do as a mountain climber where you, basically, it, it involves just getting used to the environment and, and readjusting your body and the way you use it to the level that you're at. And there is no acclimatizing to the death zone. You cannot... Force your body to get better at living there. They're You're not very, supposed to be and there. Like, they're very strict on, like, how long you can be there. Yeah. If you, if you like, attempt and then you don't make it, like, you have maybe one more shot. Yep. Otherwise, you got to go. You have to go down. Like, you can spend, like, one night there. Yeah. Maybe two. Yeah. You're really... No one is supposed to stay long-term there. Mm. Not even fucking close. Nope. <laughs> so, they make it there mid-afternoon on May 9th. And they're okay. going to rest for three or four hours and then they attempt the summit. But that's wow. going to re- like require walking for so long that it will walk. They will walk all the way through the night and they plan on getting there by noon at the earliest the next day. Because when you're up that high, the only way to do it is to take a step and rest. Take a step and rest. Over and over and over because, I mean, everything about being up there is battering your body to bits. And you just, you can only take one step every, like, 15 seconds. So it takes hours and hours. So they're planning to hike all the way through the night. They're going to get there noon to 2 p.m., 2 p.m. at the latest. And they have to plan it out like this because, again, you're not supposed to be up there that long. So if they don't make it by then, they have to turn around. I think there's something like it's it, there was a statistic of like 50% of people who attempt this do not summit. Even if they live like nothing really wrong happens, they just don't summit. They can't make it. They don't make it in time. The weather's too bad, whatever. Which like I think is okay. Yeah. You've made it much farther. Oh my god, you made it so high. Than I ever would. 
I give props to the people who just try. Yeah. It sounds like agony the whole time. Yes. But this is exactly the kind of thing that Beck is looking for. Because he's looking for, like, all I need to care about is the next step. Has, he, has he ever tried BDSM? Real. Like, a little, Such like... real shit. He'd be, maybe a, as like, a sub. Like, he needs, even. like, yeah, he could do well <laughs> as a sub, have a dom who could, like, give him the pain that he's apparently craving. For real. And all you need to care Much about cheaper. is your next breath. Yes. <laughs> like, just get through whatever someone's doing yeah. to you. Like. God damn it. All right. So, I I haven't even made it to the harrowing part yet. I know. Ugh. I'm scared. So. I know what's coming. I have a vague idea of what's coming. Oh, yeah. So they've been climbing for hours, right? It's it's the middle of the night. It's getting closer to morning now. I mean, things are getting slightly less fucking pitch black. That would you be, be very careful. Though, like seeing the sunrise on the summit oh of Everest. God. Gorgeous, I'm sure. The problem for Beck, though, is that um, as the sun is coming up and things are just sort of that dim pre-dawn light, mm-hmm. he's realizing he's not actually seeing things any better than uh-oh. he was when it was really dark. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, that's not good. Yeah, it's a problem. Beck would not understand the reason for this until later. But what we know now is that Beck had prepared for this climb by undergoing an eye surgery to improve his vision. Because he used to wear oh. goggles and things that would were supposed to, you know, help Did his vision. Did he get LASIK? He got the precursor to LASIK because it's 1996. Oh, yeah, it's 96. So, and <sighs> they said, like, they said he got it, like, pretty soon before the climb, and oh. that was the problem. But, no, I he says he got it a year and a half before the climb. I think that's long fucking enough. Yeah. Your eyes have healed. <laughs> but, so, he got what's called a radial keratotomy. It was the okay. precursor to LASIK. They use a diamond blade instead of a laser to slice at your cornea, make little incisions that will reshape it and improve your vision. Quote, However, unbeknownst to me and to virtually every ophthalmologist in the world, at high altitude, a cornea thus altered will both ratten and thicken, shortening your vocal length and rendering you effectively blind. Man. That is something that, like, before this happened, ophthalmologists didn't know that would happen because who the fuck is doing their surgery and then going up that high? Right. Just this guy, evidently. Holy <laughs> Just one guy. Shit. <laughs> so he's not doing great. Ow, and that sounds painful. It's like anything around your cornea, especially like any yeah. abrasions, like which are going to happen on Everest. Like I highly believe there are corneal abrasions. You just wait. Oh, this thing, God. this thing was not painful, but then he just adds adds to the problem. I, so I he's almost positive, as he like he can see enough that he knows, like as it gets lighter, his vision will improve, and he'll be able to at least see as far ahead of him as he needs to in order to keep going. But he needs the light to come back. So he steps out of line um, because that's you're all in single file line. And if you are too slow, you got to get behind other people who yeah. are still trudging. So he ends up, he was fourth. And he ends up in the back because he's just waiting for the light to get bright enough that he can see. And it does. It improves enough that he feels comfortable walking in this same line on this rope with people. But at one point, just, just to add insult to his literal injury he reaches up with his ice encrusted fucking glove and wipes at his own like eye area and slices one of his corneas literally actually lacerates a cornea so now he's got blurry vision in one eye and only okay vision in the other ow and that that fucking hurts if you slice your cornea you know immediately yeah because your eye doesn't want to open (laughs) 
your cornea, like, it heals fast. Yes, it does. Yes, it unless does. Unless it gets infected. And... I don't think anything lives up here to infect you. I will say that which, about you know, Everest. upside, you're not going to get a cold on Everest. <laughs> yeah. You might get pneumonia, but it's, like, different. But it's different. <laughs> it's, like, Everest pneumonia. It's, like, yeah. it's your body you. just it's shutting down. You. Yeah. You'll just have multiple organ failure. Yeah, you it's But you can't get a cold. It's fine. <laughs> Super safe. But, like, oh, God. Because there's probably, awful. like, a bunch of, like, grit and shit that got carried up from below. It's true. And, like, I mean, he's probably just, like, his gloves are ice. probably crusted over with ice. like, the wind is violent mm-hmm. up there. It is, yes, it is. And it's constantly blowing snow at you. And you're in the clouds. And the snow sticks to you. Yes, and you literally are surrounded by water vapor. Yeah. You might be above the clouds by this point. I don't even know. I don't know. Depends on the type of cloud, I imagine. Yeah. So Rob Hall, he's the expedition leader, and he gives Beck 30 minutes. He's like, if you can't see well enough to keep going in 30 minutes, then you have to turn around and someone has to escort you back down because you can't even see well enough. Like there are literal parts of this trail that are so thin that if you take one wrong step, you're going to fall off the fucking mountain. Yeah. So, so, I mean... There are people who might push their luck, but our friend Beck is not one of them. He does wait. And 30 minutes go by and he's not seeing well enough. So they say, look, you're going to wait here. Some of us are going to summit and then we're going to come back down and we're going to find you and we'll all head back to camp. And even though there are some people who summited earlier, they come down, they say, hey, we have room for you. We'll put you in the back of our caravan. Do you want to go with us? He says, no, if I don't wait for Rob, he'll either think that I, I, he might think I died. Like I fell off the mountain. So like, I need to wait for him here. So he knows that I'm here. And he waits three hours, four hours, five hours. It's 5 PM. And they were supposed to summon at noon and Rob doesn't come back. What our poor guy back does not know is that Rob Hall made it to the summit with a few other people, one of whom was too exhausted to continue after making it up there. And he decided to wait with them. And while they were waiting, he he succumbed to the cold and he died. He froze on the side of the mountain. So he was never coming back. Eventually, Beck sort of realizes, like, if I don't go down the mountain, I'm going to be stuck in the dark again. Yeah. Where I can't see. So... He waits long enough. And then some people start coming down near him. Um, some of them are uh, from his own expedition and some of them are from Mountain Madness. He actually knows one of them from having been on a separate climbing hike like with him okay. before at a separate mountain. Just kind it's of funny. It's a small group of people. Yes, it is. It's probably only a couple hundred people who uh-huh. do this shit on a regular basis. So... He meets up with them. This includes a woman named uh, Yasuko, who is a 46-year-old woman. They're both up there to be doing this. Like, you got to be old enough that you've trained for long enough, but you got to be young enough that you're not going to die just from being old <laughs> going up there. <laughs> so Yasuko is the oldest woman to attempt this on this expedition. And she she's coming down with a few other men and they say, Beck, you got to come back with us. But Beck is not doing well by this point. He's been in the cold for five hours. And not moving. Uh, Yes, exactly. He's been sitting or standing. His body is numb. Yeah. He has been 
doing the canned oxygen thing, he could be worse off. But he, the cold itself is, he said it was like, it was like a medicine on his brain. It was making him dumb, mm. slow. It made him hallucinate people when they weren't there. So he was not doing well. Yasuko's doing even worse because she made it farther and then had to come back down. So the two of them are the liabilities. And the other ones sort of help them down as far as they can. And then when they're almost back, they're within a quarter mile of Camp 4, high camp. And a blizzard hits. This storm, we they would learn later, was known to the people who headed these expeditions. They knew that winds would pick up on May 9th and a storm would hit on May 11th. And it's fucking May 11th and a storm hits as people are are headed down from summiting. Just an FYI, this is the 1996 disaster on Everest. They call it a disaster. Like more people die in this one incident than have died in the 75 years before that. And then they don't even top that until 2014. This is a bad it was a bad year. <laughs> well, I guessed right. Yes, you did. You sure did. I don't know what that says about me. I'm scared of you and I'm proud of you. Yeah, thanks. So, they're stuck in a blizzard and it's very sudden. They're so close to camp, but they can't oh see the God. fucking hand in front of their face. One of the other climbers with Beck would describe it as being lost in a bottle of milk. Like, it's that yeah. white. Beck says they all instinctively huddled together but they all quickly lost their sense of direction yep like how do you know what way you're facing as you were looking for each other turning around to see and then you suddenly don't know what way you were facing neil beetleman is one of the people along with him who stopped and, and helped him along he senses like they're all sort of huddled together and they're moving as one trying to find the correct direction to go. And Neil Beetleman is the one who senses something wrong. And they stop. He says, nope, there's something wrong here. We're not moving forward anymore. Hmm. And what they realize later, when they sort of look at maps and see what happened, they were within 25 feet from a drop-off. Oh. And if they had gone, like Beck believes, if they had even a few more paces further on, they would have slid down the mountain. The group decides then... That, that some of them are going to hunker down and then they, they're going to send their strongest climbers back. It's, yeah. it's like four guys who decide yeah. to go. So the idea being, obviously, like, you're going to go off in a direction. And if you find camp, you will come back for us or you'll yeah. send people back yeah. for us. Um, And then if they didn't find it, well, everyone was going to die anyway. So mm -hmm. this is the best thing they have. The strongest guys included that one guy, Neil, who stopped okay. them from falling off. A dude named Mike and a dude named Clev. Thanks. Um, they did make it back to camp, these Sweet. three dudes. Um, but only just. They oh. are, like, crawling, hands and knees, dragging their own bodies when they finally see blue tents. Oh. And um, they make it to camp. And the only person fit to go and look is a Russian guy named Anatoly. Oh, hi, Anatoly. And... This is a quote from Beck. Anatoly did what no one else could or would do. He went out into that storm three times. Holy shit. Yeah. Searching for first Scott Fisher, who froze to death on the mountain about 1,200 feet above the South Coal, which is the path, I believe, on the south side. Um, Scott Fisher was the head of the, the mountain madness. Mm. So both heads died 
of both expeditions. Both of them died on the mountain. Pretty shitty. Anatoly twice was driven back to the camp by the wind and cold. The third time, he located our little huddle by the, fa by the face and brought in each of the three Fisher climbers, Tim, Charlotte, and Sandy. So those were the people with Scott Fisher. Those are the Mountain Madness people. Mm. He brought them in, and he left Yasuko and me behind. So times Beck is left for dead counter. We're going to throw that up on the board. Okay. That's one. Right. Times Beck is left for dead. One. Okay. I'm just going to start a little. Yeah, just do a little tally yeah, for me. Okay. Anatoly had to make choices. Like, this is, this is this what is happens. This is the most brutal choice you could make. Yes. But he took one look at both Beck and Yusuko, and he determined they wouldn't make it. And he could get everybody killed by trying to drag back two people yeah. who cannot move on their own. Yeah. So he instead, he made the very difficult decision. He saved three other people's lives. So, like, I mean, Beck doesn't even, Beck ain't even mad. He's no. like, that's just the decision you have yeah. to make in this situation. That's fair. Yeah. Honestly, that's fair. But unfortunately, this does leave Beck and Yasuko. They huddled together in the snow. The wind whips around them. I mean, they say this storm, it was 100 below in some places. It was oh. 100 mile an hour winds. And the the way that the temperature changed and like the way the weather pattern had moved in, the oxygen dropped 14%. So even worse. Beck and Yusuko are there overnight. Oh. Um, and just like an FYI, because she stops being mentioned basically after this, but Yusuko dies on this mountain. Yeah. She does not make it. Which is very sad. Um, so by morning, the storm lifts. And by some miracle, at this point, though, Beck and Yusuko are both still alive. Like, barely. Fucking barely. Apparently, there's a man. Um, they people, people sled out to look for them, and a man does find them. Somebody from high camp. Uh, conditions on the mountain are improved, but they're still dangerous. So when he gets there, he's really got to think about his options yeah. here. Um, and like they pick up Yasuko and they have to brush the, sh a sheet of ice from her face. Like she, neither of their faces were covered during this. They couldn't cover their own faces. That's how bad off they were. They were unconscious, basically. Um, Beck's hand was exposed and his face and her face looks like, they always say it looks like porcelain, which means that you frozen the skin on your face and it's dead. Um, so she was not good. Beck looked similar. Uh, so this man, I think his last name was Hutchinson. He also makes the choice. Like, it doesn't matter if these two live another hour or whatever. Like, they're not going to make it down from the mountain. I'm going to add a, another. Yeah. Okay. So times Beck left, was left for dead counter. Two. Okay. This man, not only, I mean, the, like, again. He makes the hard decision, the same decision the other guy made. Yeah. It makes sense. But he also then goes back to camp, the high camp, and he radios down to base camp saying that he has a positive body identification of Beck Weathers and he's dead. Not that he's dying and I left him there, but that he's dead. Oh. So base camp calls his wife oh no Paige Weathers answers the phone and they tell him we have a positive body identification I'm sorry your husband 
died in a storm on Everest. I'm going to flag that for three. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in a way. Because. That gets to be three. Sure. Yeah, okay. Like, that's a totally separate event, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, that was, that's its own nightmare i mean it really is i'll make it a different color nightmare is an interesting word this is a quote from peach when she gets that call she says my worst nightmare had come true oh it was the same as when you break your leg numb i couldn't i couldn't cry i just kept thinking oh my god what will i do now like peach no when, when your husband becomes a mountaineer at 40 years old i think that's all you are afraid of yeah the worst happening and this is what happens. Like, she believes that her nightmare is real. Yeah. But Beck was not dead. Not yet. Oh. Somehow, someway, he woke up. He woke the fuck up from a hypothermic coma <laughs> around 4 p.m. the day he'd been pronounced dead. He describes at first thinking he was in bed at home in Texas because he felt really warm the way that you do when you're freezing to death. Um, and he only realized when he looked down at himself, he looked down he, at his nearly frozen limbs. They sounded hollow when he knocked on them. He would lift up his arm and bang it on the ground. And it sounded like wood. <laughs> and he realized, like, this is a quote. This is not bed. <laughs> this is not a dream. This was real. And I'm starting to think I'm on the mountain and I don't have a clue where. If I don't get up, if I don't stand, if I don't start thinking about where I am and how to get out of here, then it's going to be over very quickly. Oh, my God. In a separate interview, he says, I looked up and the sun was about 15 degrees over the horizon and heading down. So I knew I had one more hour to live. Nobody has ever survived two nights on Everest outside. And he already survived one and he really shouldn't have. Super duper should not have. He almost has no feeling in his legs, but he manages to stand up and he walks his own ass the quarter mile back to high camp. He does it himself. And two people leave him and he just walks his own ass. <laughs> I love him. I love Beck Weathers, just an FYI. He doesn't describe it as if he remembers it very well, so well, I guess he doesn't. I don't blame him on that one. When he got there, those left at camp mostly part of other expeditions, totally separate from the ones he had encountered before. They were stunned to see him. Yeah. Lots of people had not come back from that storm. They radioed base camp. They told, and they told them, like, you'll never fucking guess. <laughs> we just walked into camp. And base camp said, this, unfortunately, doesn't change anything. That man is going to die. There's no way. Like, by this point, yeah, Bitch. he's on his own feet, but he's going to die of hypothermia. He's going to die of frostbite. He's nah, gonna... nah, 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 They don't know our no. man, Beck Weathers. I do not accept that. He simply... Fuck you, base camp. Funnily enough, Beck Weathers, in his weird state, he didn't accept that either. But Good. So, like, I mean, these, they do try to help him. They give him oxygen. They try to warm him. They do what they can, but eventually they put him in a tent. He's unconscious. They're waiting for him to die. They stick him in a tent that has been vacated by someone who already died on the summit. It's a fucking bleak season. So they, they let it go. They go to bed. At one point, Beck even remembers hearing somebody a tent over talking about the dead guy. And he's like, I wonder who that is. That's <laughs> oh, you, bud. No. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. They gave so, up on you. So technically, that's another left for dead. Yes. This is, I guess, if we're counting Number four. four. 
four Left for Deads on our man Beck. So during the night, he, he fades in and out of consciousness. He hears people talking about him. And in the morning, he he doesn't hear people packing up to go, but they do. Like, they're evacuating. This has been a disaster. The people who were going to Summit are no longer going new. to Summit. There are no, many, absolutely new, not. many new dead bodies. 16. I Actually, I think it was 15 people die. Yeah. Total in this. It's, it's 16 not in 2014. Good. It's not good. It's not good. It's very bad, in fact. Um, so Beck is lying on his back and he hears a guy rummaging around outside because he is also packing out. There's only three people left and he's packing out to go. And so Beck calls out, just starts yelling. Yeah. And this man, he said his name was John and he opens this tent flap and looks inside. He says his jaw fell onto his chest. (laughs) He was supposed to be dead. Yeah. They thought he was dead hours ago. And Beck's still alive. Honestly, I'm going to flag that as number five. They were packing out <laughs> with no consideration of they their friend They left and tent. left and left and left this man yeah. for that. <laughs> they were going to leave, leave. <laughs> and then he really was going to be dead. That was going to be it. That was going to be it, it. So, at this point, they realize, okay, he's not dead the way everybody said. And actually, weirdly, he can stand. Shit. He doesn't move well on his own. But he can probably, stand. But he can stand. And he can still step forward. That's important. Mm-hmm. At this point, base camp, they call Peach. And they say, hey, hey, hey your babe. husband is not actually dead. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Our he bad. is gravely injured, though. Like he is, He's like, he's not good. He uh, Remember how he can barely see in addition? Oh, yeah. He can't see anymore, can he? There's no way his cornea is healing in this nah. situation. His body... Is keeping all of its healing energy at the yeah. center of him and his yeah. organs. Yeah. So he can't fucking see. His toes are frozen. His hand is frozen. His face is frozen. But he's alive and technically he can walk. So they make it clear to her that they don't, they still don't expect him to survive. They really don't. Like, just, we need you to be prepared for the idea that he may not live through this, but he's not technically dead. And Peach basically goes, fuck you. <laughs> and so Beck, I know my husband. Exactly. So Peach and Beck really do this shit together. First, Good. Beck, incredibly, he was able to move and he decides like, yeah, they're going to go down the mountain. So he and he enlists the help of like eight different climbers, people shit. who are headed up, people who are headed down. Eight different people help this man by short roping him, whatever they need to do. To get him down the mountain, he he gets to camp two, which is not like there's base camp, camp one, camp two, camp three, camp four, summit. So camp, camp two is still pretty high, but it's a lot lower than camp four. Camp two is at 21,000 feet. Yeah, um, I mean, comparatively, that's. It's a lot better. Literally a breath of fresh air. And the fact that he got there. Like, on his own two feet, for the most part, that's crazy. And But by that point, he needs rescue. He's not getting to base camp. So, But I feel like a helicopter at least could fly to base camp. So here's the thing. A helicopter could fly to base camp. Um, uh, but a helicopter has a ceiling. Yeah. That's literally called a ceiling of where the air is not dense enough. Yeah. To 
carry it anymore. That's why you can't take a helicopter to the summit of Everest. Exactly. The, you're right, basically. Yeah. It's very difficult. Like, they could probably get they a, he- a helicopter. A very good pilot. Yeah. So here's the thing about oh. that. Um, oh, no. Camp Taylor, 21,000 feet. Taylor? No helicopter has ever gotten that high before. Quote from Beck. However, nobody told Peach about this. Oh. <laughs> and since she didn't know it yes. could not be done, she did it. Get Assisted it, Peach. by this is my favorite piece of writing he does in this entire article. Assisted, assisted by her bunch of North Dallas power moms, any one of whom I believe could run a Fortune 500 company Absolutely. out of her kitchen. Absolutely. They proceeded to call everybody in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> that is something like I'll I'll say this like for like my dad's side of the family, which is very very southern. Uh-huh. If you need something fucking done these big haired women they will get shit the done. higher the hair the closer to jesus <laughs> exactly and you do not fuck with these women no and you do not fuck with their man that's exactly what peach and like all of her lady friends do they basically bother their yes. own state minority leader yes into bothering the state department into bothering the military in nepal yeah. It's why, so, like, <laughs> everyone villainizes Karens. Mm-hmm. And, like, rightfully for the so. Most, for because the most a part, lot of them, yeah. not great. But every once in a every while. once in a while. You can take that power mm-hmm. and you can use it for good. Here's the thing. When you're using your Karen power on people who have more power than you. Yeah. Absolutely. On people in the State Department. Get them. Yeah. That's when, that's when you got to turn that's around. That's who I want at my back. I don't want yes. a middle-aged white dude no. fighting is... for me. I want a like upper 50s blonde white woman. I just don't want her to be yelling at people in retail who, who have less power yes. than her. I want her to yell no, yeah, I at want the president. Her... <gasps> but yes, I agree. I think that Peach truly took her Karenness and she, Absolutely. she put it on the people in charge. You can do good things with your Karenness. So... They get on the horn. They get on several horns. They get on 100,000 horns. And they find, like, maybe the bravest pilot who's ever lived. And he's a member of the Nepalese army. There's always one. Oh, yeah. And he just goes, I will save this man. Good. And he flies a helicopter higher than any medvac has ever been. Holy shit. (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's higher than any helicopter, because obviously there's different types of helicopters that can do different things. But that medvac is the highest medvac that has ever occurred at 21,000 feet above sea level. Holy shit. And they get back out of there. Good. And eventually, like, really, he doesn't, like, know how bad he is until he's back home in Texas. He knows what frostbite is like. He had frostbite on the tips of his fingers from other things he's done. Um, And there was a lot of swelling and, like, redness and pain. Like, especially when you're healing from frostbite, it's it hurts like a motherfucker. There was no pain in either of his hands. Uh-oh. But he was able to use them. He went to a doctor and he, the doctor said, you know, make a fist. Wiggle your fingers. And he was able to do it. So he had high hopes. But he runs through some tests and the doctor calls him later. And he even says the doctor sounds upset. He says, I'm so sorry. You have no blood flow to your right hand at all and very little to your left 
His, again, his hands were exposed during that blizzard. They spent overnight on Everest. They are dead tissue. And the only reason he's able to move his fingers is because the tendons for your fingers extend into your arm. Oh, no. So he wouldn't be able to move them forever. And that is literally decaying tissue on the end of his arm. So they cut his right hand off uh, between his wrist and elbow. And they cut all of his fingers off of his left hand. And leave him sort of a fun fist stump. And then they take some of his toes. And then they take his nose. If you just look up Beck Weathers yeah. real quick. Just no, Google Beck Weathers. His face is I bonkers. Don't like the no nose. Yeah, his well, it's All like right. his face. Hold on. He, they reconstruct his nose the best they can in 1996. And overall, he says he's happy with it, which makes me happy. Back weathers. Immediately after the, if you see a person with black patches all over his face. Oh, there he is. Yep. Oh. He, his nose is black. Yeah. That's because the tissue's dead. Also, like his upper lip, part of his yep. cheek. His the, eyes don't look great. Yeah. I mean, it's all trouble, but yeah. he, he, heals for the most part but there are those parts of him because they're black that means they've been getting no blood flow they are dead and they're necrotic and they gotta go they they do that thing where they grow a nose on his forehead they like take tissue from his forehead they grow a nose and then they bend it down yeah his his new nose nose looks good it looks okay like it's fine it looks nose like enough he's also yeah and he's not unhappy with it. He he just more just like he's a doctor, so mm-hmm. he thinks this is like a medical marvel. Yeah, <laughs> that he's able he looks to good. So I will say this: um, Peach, who had been unhappy with Beck before this event, like they had had a rough time in their marriage because he sure. was not paying attention. Yeah, to anything going yeah. on. Um, she told him that she would give him a year. Um, she would stay with him while he recovered, but she was not going to stay with him forever out of pity. He had a year to become a different man Mm. or she was going to leave. And he said, he basically decided like, I'm going to take all of that feeling that I have for climbing, all of that drive and determination, and I'm going to put it into my family. Interesting. Interesting. So another crossover. Mm -hmm. He took... The trauma mm-hmm. and transformed it into something productive. Metamorphosis. Okay. He literally yeah. uses the word metamorphosis. Yeah. He yeah. became okay. a different man because, okay. yeah, I think like that's what survival does to a lot of people, though, right? Like that makes sense in yeah. some ways. Like when you survive a really har- harrowing event, the black dog of depression might still be with you, but you can look at it and be like, fuck you, I've survived way worse than this. And I'm going to appreciate the fuck out of every moment I still have. Yeah. So remember that. Just yeah, remember that. I will. I absolutely okay. will. So this is a quote from Beck. Yes, please. People ask me whether I'd do it again. The answer is, even if I knew exactly everything that was going to happen to me on Mount Everest, I would do it again. That day on the mountain, I traded my hands for my family and for my future. It is a bargain I readily accept. Beck obviously no longer climbs, but he found a way to fly an airplane without hands. So he does do that. Um, And otherwise, he spends a lot of time with his kids and now his grandkids. Good. And Peach is still with him. Good. So that is the story of Beck Weathers, a man left for dead four separate times. Five. 
And that's, yeah, that's the guy who survived uh, the Everest disaster of 1996. Jesus. A bad time. There Jesus. are many survivors. There are two there separate are... movies called Everest. Jake Gyllenhaal was in one of them. Yes. That one was the more recent one, I think. Yeah. And then there's one that was earlier. They're both about the story of Beck and many other people who died or did not die yeah. on the mountain. There was also an IMAX movie about Everest. I went and saw it as a child and I discovered did too. I got vertigo. Me too. Yeah. That was. Okay. <laughs> Is this the same one where I'm thinking like before they go on Everest, they talk about climbers and then there's like a guy who sort of repels down. Yeah. Yeah. On a, in a circle. Yeah. I got sick. I thought I was going to die. Uh-huh. I legit thought I was going to die. I was like <laughs> 11 or 12. Milwaukee. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's where the IMAX At the IMAX. Was. <laughs> and, um. What if we were in the same thing? <laughs> Emily. <laughs> I genuinely thought I was dying. Uh, but yeah. Okay. That's wild. That's wild. wild. It's wild. It's mm. a good story. I'm sorry it took so long. We had fun though. I hope we had fun. Mostly we didn't. <laughs> it's a good story, though. It I'm is. excited to hear it yours. Is. Thanks, Shall Zach. we harp a noise? We should. <gasps> do you want to harp noise? No, I want you oh, to do it. Okay. I just wanted to breathe into it. Oh, okay. <gasps> <laughs> and we're back. You might hear soft munchings of the boys in the background. They, they are, are eating their dinner. They are. Uh, so um, I'm slowly now that I'm not talking so much, I'm sipping. I'm sipping I didn't so hard. Drink the whole second martini that I made. I split no, it in half. There's quite a bit of martini in this. There is for me. Thank I you. Finished off the bottle. I'm afraid you should be. Let's talk about a different survivor. Okay. With a mountain involved. Oh my god. I'm so and afraid. trauma. Oh my god. And the importance of seatbelts and emotional awareness uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> so i don't know if you've seen any of like the photos popping up on facebook or like there's a reel that started circulating that first started on instagram and then went to tiktok and now it's on facebook mm-hmm. from 2021 um but it like came up on my feed because i follow a lot of weird shit hmm. and because my algorithm is absolutely wild mine's fucked at this yeah point. they don't know what to show me yeah so, <laughs> so they just like kind this? of yeah show me a little <laughs> bit of everything and she came up on my feed and i was like holy shit and i bookmarked the video and then we took a little hiatus and i've held on to it and i was looking through it yesterday and i'm like what could i do what could i do and i was like around and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> i was like well how about this? How about this? Let's see mm. what's out there about this. Yes. So I'm going to start with a quote from the 911 call. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Okay. All right. You really need to hurry. There's a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. Whoa. Whoa. There are pictures. I'm picturing so much gross well, shit right now. Yeah. So... Here Hereditary is level nasty ass shit. One of the pictures. Uh, why are you showing me? So she's literally hanging from the telephone wire. She looks like I, I was expecting yeah. her to be upside down. No. She technically not... is. Oh, I, that's it's hard. her thigh. Oh. Holding on. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. 
So those so two things her are hair. her head and her That's arm. her hair hanging down. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. And that's her leg. Can you zoom in at all? Uh, I don't really want you bit, to, but it's at the not same gonna... time I do. Oh, holy balls. Yeah. How does someone get up there? Let me tell you. So this woman literally, for the listener, uh, is on a telephone wire on the side of a country on road. on a power line. Power line. On the side of a country road is yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. She is hanging upside down. And she is. And her legs sort of look I will split. get into how she is hanging. I'm so upset um, already. Why have you done this? And she was up there for an hour. Oh, my God. All right. Everything's fine. So there's another video that I'll actually I can show you really quick. Um, you can kind of see her hair. It's the firemen going so, up to get her down. Um, for the listener, this is later at night. Yeah, that was it. Was like sundown in yep. the other picture. This yep. is full on nighttime. They're yep. still trying to get her down. Yep, and there clearly there's a firefighter on, yep. like a crane like thing. a ladder like the ladder that comes off the truck sort of and yeah in a yeah, bucket yeah, yeah. they For also sure. had a Try, bucket right trying to get yeah her. yep what the fuck what the fuck so and there are people if you there are photos out there there's apparently a video i didn't watch the video Damn. i i love myself a little bit um and i didn't watch the video <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like i'll get into that so it's may of 2021 mm-hmm Oh, God, so recent. Kennedy, who is hanging from the wire. It's 2021. Was 17. Technically, like, six, around 16, 17 at this time. Interviews say she was 16. Was um, from Idaho. Okay. Country, like, middle of nowhere, grass, cornfields, all that shit. Okay. I I want this to stop. Small town. I'm going to eat this fucking. Yeah, eat the olive. And was really needing, like, just a night out with some friends. A lot of this, which is why I did the story, there's a great interview with her. So most of this is, like, firsthand experience. Awesome. Quote, I had Jacob and Nikita, my two best friends, in the car with me. I'd gotten off work at 5 o'clock. I was having a hard day because two days prior to the accident, my boyfriend and I had broken up at the time. So I was just kind of in an emotional mess. They came over and said, let's go have fun for the rest of the night. Let's go get something to eat. Go get some soda, hang out, and just make you feel better. Those are good friends. Very good friends. They're not even saying, let's go do a fucking party and do hard drugs. Let's go do something fun for you. Yes, that's nice. Absolutely stellar friends. Yeah. A plus. We love it. And they were like, let's go watch the sunset because Idaho is not flat. There are some mountains in Idaho. Some. Not many, but some. Sort of like this state where like part of it is mountainous and uh, part of it is flat. Yeah. Yeah. So they were going to the bottom of the mountain in the nearby town of Deklo. So it was a four mile road to the mountain and it was, they called it the base of the D. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're teenagers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because there was like a big D actually on the mountain for Deklo. Delco, oh. Declo, Declo. And they just, they drove up, like, ran under the base of the D and parked. <laughs> nice. And they were up there. She started, like, crying. They were talking through it. They were being just really supportive. She said they were validating me, just listening and being really good friends. Yes. So, okay. like, stellar human again. beings. Stellar. Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. Jacob's mom it. called letting him know he needed to be home by 9. It was, like, 8.30. They're like, Damn, oh, nine. okay. 
17 well, and your curfew is nine? Uh-huh. Shit. All right, Idaho. Right. <laughs> they still wanted to hang out. So they like got the okay from Jacob's mom. They're like, can we come over and like cook? Like, that can we just nice. hang out at your house? Yeah. And she was like, hell yeah. So they're like, cool mom. Let's actually. go pick up Jacob's car because they parked it at Kennedy's house because mm-hmm. Kennedy like always drove everywhere, apparently. She, some people just like it. Some me. people like it's to me. drive. I'm I, the opposite. I would absolutely, I absolutely let, will drive. This is why we're friends. I would let you drive me anywhere. Absolutely. I have. <laughs> You're right. I have. Like, I don't, if my car's the one that works and it's fine, like, then I will do it. But I love being driven around like yep. a little bitch. <laughs> so oh. they were like just going through it. There was apparently, she tells this like little story of like how there's like a couch on the top under that, like the D. And she like, they were Is like, the D like the Hollywood sign? Is there just like a white so. D sitting on I think so. <laughs> so like there was a couch sitting up there and they're like, hit it with your car. And she's like, I don't know. And, and then yeah. she like did it once and it like kind of dented the license plate. She's like, I can never do that again. Yeah, she just nudged She it. like freaked out. <laughs> So they sat on like that couch, which I would not sit on. I don't know what happened. There's probably up there. so much jizz on that fucking couch. Absolutely. Dude. The juice Although is I alone. cannot talk because I sat on the couches in the green room at college. So I mean, like we all sat on college yes. couches. We've sat on jizz. 100%. Yes. Yeah. So they were like, you know what? It's fine. We're just gonna go back to Kennedy's house, pick up Jacob's car, go get the supplies. They were gonna make crepes. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. He's cultured ass yes. Idaho team. I support it. We love it. Absolutely. They're like, we're going to go pick up the ingredients and then we're going to go to Jacob's house and just like That's hang out. Lovely. She was like supposed to be staying home that night because like her dad has been sick. Mm. He apparently had been diagnosed with cancer a few years earlier and like her mom was out of town. So she's like, can you just like stay home with your dad? And like she was like, I'm really emotional and I'm a mess and I don't want to be home. So just for that time, because she's been dealing with this for a number yeah. of years, I, yes, I can understand. And, like, they checked on him. Good. Like, she stayed in touch and, like, checked on him um, and started driving. She, like, says, I pulled myself together and then I just can't remember what happened, but I busted back out into tears. I just started crying. My speedometer did not work in my car, but I wasn't going fast. Because I wasn't going to drive fast while I was crying. Well, so sure. I was just driving and bawling. I mean, I can understand. I, yeah. I'm, I know you're 16, bringing this up 17. because it's about to be bad. But you're also, yeah, you've had your license for yes. maybe a year. Yeah. You maybe In the don't, car with two other teenagers, same age. You maybe don't have the knowledge, the awareness. That if you're bawling, you need to pull over. Yes, and also just, like, the awareness of how fast you're actually going, especially if the speedometer in your car... She had an app. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, there's an app I know there's for an app that. for that shit, but, there's like, an app for that. still, and are you was... looking at it in your crying state? No. No. You're guessing but, how fast you're going. Yeah. So, and because it was back roads, it's Idaho, it's farm country. Ain't no fucking cops out there. No. It's faster than you think, I'm and sure. It's also, she said... That the roads were super dirty because the farmers had been going in and out of the fields. Also, very common for country kids, not common for city kids. So, like, for me, hearing this, I'm like, holy shit. 
none of them were wearing their seatbelts. God damn it. No, the, for I'm sorry. For me, I feel really uncomfortable in yes. a car. Same. Even, you know, if you sit bitch or something mm-hmm. and like you just can't do it because like maybe the person who has the little latch next to yours is someone you don't know super well yeah. and you'll touch their ass if you try to. Yeah. That's the only time I've ever not buckled my seatbelt. Oh, see, I've touched their ass. Oh, no. I just just kind of go like, well, my life's in someone's hands. (laughs) I can't can't touch this man's ass. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I don't. Oh, this is not good. But I've also met people who live like Viroqua. Bumfuck. Bumfuck middle of nowhere. Unincorporated town surrounding it. They I've been be to more unincorporated towns surrounding Viroqua than I care and to mention. And they have cars that still let them do that shit without yes. beeping. Yep. Yep. And they just, they don't wear their seatbelts. Yep. Because they think, what? I'm going to go from here to over there. I right. know exactly where it is. My friend's and house, two seconds from here. She makes a note of like, yes, I understand a lot of accidents happen within a mile to two miles of your home. Because your guard drops. Yes. You stop paying attention. This is the thing You're not you as vigilant. drive the most. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's tough. So. Especially if you live rural, this, I'm sure. Only happened a mile away from her house. So the app that she was using was Life360. It logged her phone and the car at 58 to 59 miles an hour. Speed limit for that back road was 55 miles an hour. Okay, it's not So, that... like, not that big a deal. She wasn't speeding. Correct. I would still say she's going fast. That's fast. Yes. But, like, it's... But, like, for a back road, that's... That's fine. Reasonable. She could have been going she's 65, going 70. Right yeah. Speed. Honestly, like five miles over. That's correct. Correct. So it wasn't like crazy. No. She had like started going off the left side of the road and could feel the wheel kind of going off and then corrected. Uh Uh-huh. But she overcorrected. Yep. And then went completely off the road. Fuck. So the left side of her car hit a power pole and flipped the car sideways. And then it just started rolling. Um, bounced on the ground at least three times and then just flipped into the air and just kept spinning. Um, she said she was the first one out. As in? Out of the car, yes. From the vehicle. And no idea, no one knows how she ended up on the power line or, like, how she got out of the car. freak physics thing. Yes. But, like, she was So the the door would have had to open almost. Well, like, she had a sunroof, the windshield, and the door. They all so, break? like, at that point, everything was shattered okay. because it had already rolled. So it's impossible to tell if Correct. she shattered it or if it was shattered. Right. Oh, my God. So she got thrown out and landed and twisted into the power line. And the only thing really holding her in place was her femur. Hey, uh, look, <laughs> I just want to talk to everybody real quick about physics um it's this weird. is why it's important to learn it yeah um again i've been watching a lot of ted lasso <laughs> so basically i just talk like this, this whenever i feel like so, yeah okay yeah someone's mm. gotta learn a, a sure. lesson okay um <laughs> I my guess too. my truest guess is sunroof 
and but like her car's rolling yeah. the momentum it really depends like she would the have other had part to leave of the physics. vehicle almost immediately yeah she was like she knows for sure she was the first one out yeah so here's the thing with physics <laughs> it one, don't always make sense no <laughs> and one of newton's theories which also was wild to me that like gravity is still technically a theory technically yeah we can't prove but it like, definitively one of Newton's theories of an object in motion remains in motion. Stays in motion. So she was going 55 miles an hour, 58, at a normal speed. Mm-hmm. Once you add torque in there of the spin, mm. when you spin it, it goes whoo. So yeah. she so flew she, it and was already at least spinning. three times. Because the car was yes. spinning. She so flew out. It had the trajectory to launch her up, 30 feet up. So thankfully, and also not thankfully, mm. so she was driving. Her friend Nakia was in the front seat, and then Jacob was in the back seat. So Please the, tell me about these people. I will. Oh so the power line she'd hit had also, like, one of the poles had been hit by her car. Right. And thankfully, it stayed upright. That is... Like... The car did what it's supposed to do, which yes. is crumple. Yes. Yeah. And the power line did what it was supposed to do. Which is stay, and stay up. upright. Good. <laughs> so it kept the tension between the two poles. And, yeah. like, she remembers the car flipping, but she doesn't remember actually getting ejected. And the next thing that she remembers is basically coming to tangled up in the lines it has to be so fast and so the top line from what she was told had the electricity running through it okay the bottom line did not and a lot of times with like the poles that you see have a lot of wires running through it and sometimes they'll have Mm -hmm. like a telephone line and then they'll have the actual power line at the top and then they have like guy wires and i thought it was supposed to be like guide wires but they like the spelling of it was g-u-y and i'm They're like literally guy wires i don't i always understand. thought it was guide wires too no oh my god i was very that i think is where my brain broke and i'm like i'm learning this in this can't. moment emily i can't <laughs> my so, husband's probably like yeah you dumb piece of shit <laughs> like it's not guide wires <laughs> so like and then they've got like the extra wires and like none of the lines are insulated wow okay because at the height that they are, and because of the voltage, the air is usually like insulating the lines. So they like simply the don't kinetic need energy around the lines insulates it with the air. And, and she basically just, it's up so high it can't hurt anyone, right. and it already functions the way we need it, so we're not going to insulate it. Right. Okay. So like there was the current running through it. And it was mentioned in the interview, and she didn't really talk about it, but, like, there was some burn, burn, burning that she experienced. I bet. But because she was her... wrapped so tightly. I know that we're going back so far because we had so many conversations, but you said her femur was the thing yeah. that kept her. So the power line was wrapped around her leg. The There were, like, two things that happened that kept her alive. So because of the way that it wrapped, it actually pinched her main femoral artery in her leg. Stopped so that she didn't out. bleed out. And it also then it might also, have cut off circulation too. She'd also ripped 
the shit out of her arm like it was basically hanging hanging on by tendons. Oh, my God. She could have bled out from that, but the electricity in the line actually, like, cauterized her shoulder. Holy shit. Enough. What? And, like, her back that it what? also stopped her from bleeding. She could have died three separate ways. Yes. And the power lines The electricity her. from the power lines running through cauterized her wounds enough. Do you get the sense that, like, these wounds were caused by hitting the power lines and then they were cauterized or stopped? Or that if she just hit the ground, if like the torque had I'm been such. I'm pretty sure it's from the car accident that thing she got launched up. So if she had hit the ground, she could have bled out. Yes. <laughs> what the but fuck? But because she got wrapped up in the power lines and they were still active. They. They saved her life. It was a low enough current, I guess. Wow. To cauterize her wounds, but not electrocute her. Correct. Still not She's pleasant. the luckiest human being yes. a lot. We do a lot of stories of a lot of lucky people, of course. And then she was up there for 45 minutes. Oh my god. Awake. Yeah, you could bleed out. You could bleed out and die in 10 minutes. Yes. You... So <laughs> she didn't remember getting up there, but like a few seconds after she was tangled up in the wire, she came to. Wow. And was just hanging upside down for 45 minutes. She can just see the ground. Her she could see is... the road. She So the hardest part was she couldn't see behind her into the field where her car went. Oh. Okay. All she could hear was one of her friends screaming. Oh, no, 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 Emily. Uh, yeah. Quote, this is kind of weird. I'm religious. So it was very weird for me, but I got a face call, a FaceTime call from God. So hallucinating it was like a dream of going to heaven i guess there was a screen in front of me there was a picture of god with his hand going through the water and i was trying to accept it because i was in so much pain i just couldn't do it anymore and i wanted to go home i was like he's calling me i'm supposed to go so i was trying to accept it the phone only rings for a certain amount of time so i was stressed out because i was like running out of time Finally, the screen just went black and I could see my reflection. She's trying to die in time. Yep. To answer God's fucking phone call. What a stressful way to die. Oh, my God. I was bloody. I was gross. I just started crying because I knew that I had to live with what was going to happen to me and that it wasn't my time to go. (laughs) After that, I woke up. That kind of came to me like a dream, I guess. Okay. So we've had other survivors that have had insane out-of-body experiences. She's trying to die. Yeah. And and she feels like she's being forced to live. She missed her opportunity to die, and therefore she must live. Yep. And then, so she comes to, she's like, I woke up confused. I remembered that I started crying. I told myself, Kennedy, you can't cry. If you cry, you're done. Interesting. That's the end. Maybe it would have shaken her body too much or I don't something. know. And then part of her was like, why didn't I give up? And she disclosed like prior to the accident, she was suffering from really bad depression. She was having that black the dog. black dog. Yeah. And was suicidal. Wow. Even before the breakup. Yes. Wow. She was in a rough spot. So this. So she was like, I don't know why I didn't give up on the wire. Like, it was hard for me to talk about 
because that was such a weak point in my life. So I just tell a lot of people, my accident saved my life because if it didn't happen, I would have been dead by suicide. Wow. Yeah. The only thing that makes me think about, honestly, is that like both of these people, they had these black dogs. Yep. And what they, instead of killing themselves, <laughs> did you just eat two? No, I absolutely just dropped the olive back into the martini and it splashed up into my face. <laughs> I'm doing great. This is so very good. sad. Yeah. You're so beautiful and I love you. We're talking about um, suicide. But like both of them had an experience that extremely them, traumatic yes it was extremely traumatic it took them out of themselves for yep. a period of time and they had to overcome it they yep. literally both had to f look at death and and say no in some way or another whether they were conscious of it or not on the flip side of it just because she is so young mm. of having that severe moment at that age mm -hmm. It doesn't negate the black dog. No, of course. So that could come back to her in her 30s. Yes. Like, that could come back. That could be a battle she's fighting for the rest of her life. Absolutely. But, like, for right now, that this experience is what she's holding on to. This is what keeps her going. And her faith keeps her going. And that's valid. Mm-hmm. And legit. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupted you before you told me what happened to her friends. Yeah. So. Did they die? No. Oh they all god. survived. Oh my god. Everyone survived? I believe so, yeah. Oh my god. So she talks about remembering screaming and everything starting to like come back to her of the car crash, the screeching of metal, like the breaking of glass. Ugh. And she at first wasn't sure if it was her screaming or someone else. Mm -hmm. Um the EMTs did confirm that it was her friend screaming. Oh, my God. So, Jacob and Nakia were on the ground. They were able to get into an ambulance and get taken care of. Oh, my God. Thank uh, God. But So, it they took... just got thrown as well? Yeah. Or... They were thrown out of the car. So, it took them 45 minutes to get her down because they also had to co coordinate with the power company to get the electricity turned off. Yes. That makes sense. So she very much like was could see the road below her and there were people who came upon the accident and thankfully called 911. And like we've talked about this before, um, like with some plane crashes in rural areas, your farm country people mm -hmm. are very quick to respond. Yeah. They're used to very horrific injuries because farm accidents are no joke right and nothing happens out there right so they know when some shit happens a out lot there. of your local farmers and like farmers wives are like certified emts a lot of them are first responders yep. because they have to be that's very volunteer legit. firefighters volunteer emts like, yes that that's just that is how it is how it is yep so she thankfully was in a community where they didn't like see this as they were driving by and be like oh shit and keep going they stopped. They got out. They called for help. There are good and bad things about a country area. Absolutely. Called 911. Yep. And we're on the phone with 911 and we're like, uh, she's hanging. And like they, the 911 she's call. She's hanging and I can't get her down. Yeah, like I can't get None her down. None of my farm equipment and they, will like, get her down. And they got a tarp. <laughs> they got a tarp. Oh my God. They were going to catch her. Yeah. If something 
happened. But her femur was hung over. Right. But if yeah. the femur let go. And then she said, like, once they got up there and, like, she could, like, kind of talk to the people on the ground. Um, but, like, once they got up there, they said that she was just talking really normally. She was just having a normal-ass conversation. <laughs> um, she was absolutely calm, which was probably shock. Yes. Um, that's the 100%. thing about shock. You act really calm. You've got it together because you don't feel anything that's happening. They ended up, like, putting a tourniquet on her leg mm -hmm. because they knew as soon as they removed her from the wire, that was all hell was going to break loose. Yeah. So they got the tourniquet on, and at that point, she passed out because a tourniquet yeah. done right is extremely painful. And like, one, of no the, one of the last things that she remembers... As they were, like, they'd gotten the power turned off. She said, you've really got to get me down. I can't do this much longer. I'm going to die. No oh, shit. And she remembers seeing, like, the guy, the firefighter, super stressed out, breathing really hard. Very aware that her life was in his hands. Yeah. And then she blacks out. Um, they said that was the only time that she screamed or cried. Because they had to, this is not the light, they Ugh. had to take her bone and leg back through the wire to get her untangled. So It's tough. Jacob, who was in the back seat, yes, oh was interviewed God. as well. And he said, I remember hearing like bangs and crashes all around me. I was hit pretty badly in the car because I wasn't buckled up. The only way I can really describe it is I was in a washing machine. Ugh. Next thing I know, it was very painful. I remember hearing my body hit the inside of the car. And then hearing myself moaning and groaning as I was being tossed around. Then when I opened my eyes, the first thing I noticed was that my wrist was sliced open and it was bleeding really heavily. And I wanted to see if my friends were okay. That's a bad part of you to be sliced open, bud. Yeah. Well, I think it's worse. Mm. Um, I saw the car because I looked up from my wrist and the car was right in front of me. I looked to the left and I saw Kennedy in the line. I had no idea where Nakia was. Obviously, I was worried, completely astounded by how she got up there. Um, when I was when I played soccer, I put my hip out of place because it, and it felt exactly the same. I was pretty much just laying there helpless. My wrist was bleeding, so my I was holding it to my left wrist and above it so that the bleeding tried Good. to stop. Good. Holding it so, above his heart yeah. and like yeah. So there was somebody that came in and tried to help on the motorcycle, which when I showed you the first picture, there was a motorcycle in the front. It was just yes. somebody that was out in the back roads. Happened to see Kennedy hanging on the fucking line. Yeah. Like, I think when you what? see that, you think you're in a horror movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Instantly. Um, and had called 911 and then tried to find the other people in the field. Thankfully, like they were noticed in the field. And then after 911... Jacob used that guy's phone to call his parents. Um, and they made it about 10 to 15 minutes right after the first responders. Wow. He had a broken neck, back, and pelvis. Holy shit. Yeah. He was paying attention to his wrist. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not bleeding out is good, but broken pelvis. neck, back, the pelvis. pelvis. The pelvis can kill you. Yeah, it can. There's a lot going on around your pelvis. Femoral no artery, man. 
Yep. Nakia was transported to the hospital. Um, she suffered a shattered vertebrae in her back that was fused, two other vertebrae, and a fracture in her neck that at Damn. the time doctors were hopeful would heal on its own, and then four breaks in her pelvis. Holy fuck. She also endured a small brain bleed, <gasps> and some of her right ribs were dislocated from the cartilage. Um, Nakia, who That's... played basketball and volleyball and softball, oh, honey. had just like just been i really hope she's doing okay yeah. that's really it's hard a that's lot a, that's a lot of different injuries and she was doing a lot of different sports and obviously life is yeah. different now so for kennedy her arm was pretty much completely ripped off it was basically being held on by the skin literally by the skin okay um, so her arm is very heavily scarred. They were able to reattach it. Um, Damn. and there are five main nerves that control your arm. Yeah. And three of hers had been completely ripped out from her spinal root. Whew. And then two of them were stretched insanely badly. So her arm was completely paralyzed, but they did a nerve transfer to try and help. And it's slowly, slowly, slowly coming back. Damn. Um, then her femur was absolutely destroyed. Yeah. Like, just wrecked. Yeah. Her collarbone and humerus were also snapped. So she blacked out when they got the tourniquet on and were taking her out of the wires. And then she kind of comes back to it when she was actually in the bucket of the fire truck. Oh, God. And being put on the stretcher. And she had said to them, thank you for saving my life or trying to. Or trying to. Like, you know that they might not. And they were very aware that she was dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were very aware of it. So, like, in the ambulance, they're like, nope, this is go time. We've got to get IVs in her. We've got to yeah. just get everything stabilized. Yes. They are losing her. Like, it was yelling at her, like, you've got to stay with us. You've got to do this. And she said that she felt so much peace in the ambulance and that it was like her time to go and at that time she didn't know her dad was right outside the ambulance like he got the call and came rushing to the scene of the accident was trying to find her the police would not let him past and he was like that's my daughter and they're like we will let you at the back of the ambulance like they're trying to get her stabilized right now Thankfully, like, he got there two, like, two minutes after they got her off the power line. He didn't have to see her hanging on the power line. Yeah, that's ideal. Yeah. They finally let him come into the ambulance. And they prayed. And he, like, stayed with her. And then, like, her eyes rolled back in her head. And that was it. Yeah. And they needed to go. <laughs> Like, that was, that really? was it. Like, now, nope. you, now we need to fix her. She remembers her dad kissing her on the forehead. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And that all she could taste was her blood. Hmm. And the EMTs told her dad, like, say your goodbyes now. Like, Ugh. she's not going to make it. Because, like, obviously, she made it to the hospital. 
and went into immediate emergency trauma surgery. Yeah. That feels right. And then she had to do, like, the basic things when you go through something this severe. She had to start kind of relearning everything. And relearning how to spell things with her finger and, like, how to walk she ended up having four amputations in total. Damn. Um, she didn't remember the first amputation. And then for the last one, they're like, this is a really big surgery. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> fucking know. Um, and they'd ended up, like, amputating her leg. And then they had to go back in again because of, I believe, like, an infection or something about, like, the way it broke. That it just, it wasn't healing the way that it was supposed well, to yeah um i mean if your femur's involved that's it the biggest bone in your fucking body yeah. it's so scary yeah and she like when she came out her dad told her like hey i have to tell you something we had to amputate your leg and oh, to be the one who has to say that first question which then, like, plays a lot in a lot of her interviews and everything, was did Nakia and Jacob lose any of their limbs? She was worried about her friends. Because she was the one driving. Yes. Her response when her dad said no, she was like, so they're okay. And he said yes. She's like, well, I'm glad I'm the one that had to lose a limb. She's she done. had serious survivor's guilt. Yes. And that's not fair or good. No. But I she took a lot of it on, but I get it. Yes. Yes. Completely, I can understand. If you're the one at the wheel, you lose control of the vehicle for one reason or another. It doesn't matter. If you're the one who suffers the worst of it, yeah. to me, I would feel better yep. than if I, if I killed somebody, yeah. if I killed my friend. Yeah. The fact that... The two of them get to walk away. Yeah. After being such good friends to her. Mm-hmm. I feel good about that. I feel better about that than yeah. I would have. And she does too, yep. obviously. And she had this moment of like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to play soccer again. Oh. And then she was like, nope, it's okay. There's nothing I can do about it. And the next day, the physical therapist came in and was like, we're going to do 10 squats today. Damn. Which... If you've ever had major surgery, physical therapy, they are ruthless. They are. They have to be. They're such assholes. They are. Fucking crazy. But the shitty thing about it is... They get the they job done. have to. Yep. If they let you lay there, you can die from that. hmm That yeah. means that they have to force you. Mm-hmm. If they have to... For- especially young people... Yep. Like you were, mm-hmm. they had to force you up. Yep. Because you can get a blood clot. It doesn't matter. Crazy Anything shit can, can happen. happen to you. She in that moment was like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. So she did. She was scared, but she did it. Um, and didn't look down at her amputated leg and just started doing squats. Um, and then after, like, she sat back down, she finally kind of got a look at the stump and, like, was shocked at how short it was. Because they'd originally thought, like, she thought it was, like, below the knee or at least, like, at the knee. And it's, like, mid-thigh. Damn. 
they had to go very high. Damn. Um, to yeah. help with her arm. But That's like cool. I think she was like in a wheelchair and she hated being in a wheelchair. So as soon as she could get a prosthetic leg, she did. And then had to learn the hardships of having a prosthetic leg and the pain that goes with having a prosthetic yep. leg. Yep, that's And hard. having to stand differently and shift her weight on her hips. And you can't stand the same way yep. that you normally would when you have a prosthetic leg. Right. Um, she also has started telling her story and really focuses on... Something that, you know, we in our friend group are very good at of escapism of trauma through humor. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> she makes a lot of videos that she finds funny to keep it light. <laughs> good. I mean, yeah. Get through things how they have to get through them. She's not in college right now, which is fair. She Completely. went through a I mean, huge life event. This was last year. Yeah. So <laughs> she has started driving again. She Good only drives really during the day. Good for her. There was one time where she was almost in a car accident. Like someone like kind of veered close to her and it started the full PTSD response. Of course, of course, of course. And she said at that point, a lot of things that hadn't come back about the crash started to come back yep. to her. That's, that's when coming. she remembered. Yep. So. Unfortunate. She doesn't drive really at night call good yeah. call but she wanted think... to start driving again like she wanted to not be afraid of it but she's very specific on when she drives yeah there's so, yeah. it i'm proud of her honestly Kennedy. thank you all by the way for coming back to us hey <laughs> we're here we're here we still really enjoy making this podcast sometimes we just get busy and things sometimes are hard. we have to resurrect from the dead yeah that we appreciate you just just clawing your way yeah. out of the ground with us. <laughs> and we're there to pull you out of the ground we with will. weird time. stories and bad jokes. Always weird stories 100% of the time, <laughs> bad jokes. Please join us again. We will be back. Of course we'll yeah. be back. We're here. We are still friends, no matter what the fuck weird bullshit is going on outside. No matter and how inside. hard we try. <laughs> no matter how hard we try. <laughs> and that means that you should stick with us. Mm -hmm. and we appreciate you no matter what. But also, that means that you should never, ever forget your can of... I'm just going to stick with the standard of can of water. Can because of water? hydration is important. And it hydration important is vitally important, for... Emily. Emily. Yes. I love you. I love you, too. Ah, that's so oh cute. My oh, my God. It's gross how we have to continue this podcast, Weird. even though we know that about each After other. After, like, six years. <gasps> mm, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>